days just after World War II, everybody in my community of Box Hill turned to Dr. Kemp. He was the man in the community to whom everybody turned in time of need. Dr. William Alfred Kemp. That's what his brass plate used to say. He had been part of the soul of the city since 1923. I first got to know Dr. Kemp, or should I say he first got to know me, when I was in my mother's womb. He stuck the stethoscope on her and listened to my heart beating. He presided at my birth and swung me deftly by the heel, smacking me on to bring me into this world and to bring into my lungs the first breath of air and from my throat the first cry. He took an interest throughout my childhood, treating various childhood illnesses. When the time came to remove my tonsils, he was there. He was there beside the dentist's chair to give me an anaesthetic, troublesome back tooth, and he came in and out of our home as an old-fashioned jetitioner for 30 years. Now, the doctors in the 40s in our town were very special people. They had large waiting rooms and an assortment of British magazines, uh, the National Geographic and the London Tatler and London Illustrated. He visited all of his patients in their homes. He knew everybody personally by name. For the first 38 years of his life, he was a greengrocer, and then he felt a calling of God to become a medical doctor. And so at 38 years of age, he started study at Melbourne University, and then followed by more study overseas to complete his speciality in Edinburgh University. To matriculate and enter Melbourne University when he had left school at 12 years of age was a tremendous struggle for him. And to make matters worse, his young wife, whom he had married 13 years earlier, suddenly died. At an age of 40, he set out from Melbourne to go to Edinburgh, where he graduated with his fellowship becoming well-known all over the United Kingdom as a preacher at youth rallies. Well, Dr. Kemp moved back and into Box Hill in 1923. He was a lay minister at the Box Hill Church of Christ. He loved children. He never had any of his own, but he supported many children's organisations. He established a national youth ministry for boys and girls. He established a boys' home nearby, and he helped young people as a children's court magistrate. His work on the bench was later on to lead him to become both a justice of the peace and a stipendiary magistrate, and eventually special magistrate of Melbourne's court. Dr. Kemp was a large man with grey moustache. His grey hair was down flat, even on both sides of his head, spectacles and tweed suits with waistcoats and a watch chain. I find it impossible to think of him without his coat and watch chain, and I imagine wore it to bed. He was one of those doctors who came whenever you called, regardless of the time of night or the condition of the weather. I later on found out that he had a lifetime practice of never charging people who were poor or in difficult circumstances. When he came to sending out his bills, he would select 12 home visits that he had made and send bills only to the six people who could afford it. Dr. Kemp came in and out of my life in a remarkable way in the years that followed. A few years later I started to attend church, and I discovered he used to preside at the communion table of the church. I never realised before that he was a member of that congregation in Court Street. With a group of school children I once visited the city council to see the council at work, and to my surprise there he was up on the mayor's seat with the gold chain of office and the robes of mayor upon his shoulders. When I went to high school, 
The first-year students were welcomed by the president of the High School Advisory Council, and, and you guessed it, it was the same Dr. W.A. Kim. I remember in my latter years at high school and then at university when I was doing some biological sciences, talking to him in his surgery, and he showed me some techniques in using a microscope that he had learned in his studies. Later on at university, he offered me his microscope, but as I'd already purchased one, I turned it down. How I wished I'd taken his microscope. Well, most of us boys in town got into trouble at one time or another with the police, and if we were ever taken to court, it was his kindly face with its clipped moustache and glasses that stared down from the magistrate's bench. As a theological student, I was preaching in a small inner suburban church, and one day, after a sudden attack of acute appendicitis, he took out my appendix on Saturday, visited me early Sunday morning, and then drove on to my student church where he preached on my behalf. I discussed with Dr. Kent my call to the ministry, and in his spacious rooms, he talked to me about the call of God and about how I should do everything to resist it until it became a burning passion within my bones that I could do nothing else but answer his call and train for the ministry. And then, on the day my theological education commenced, who do you think was there to welcome students as chairman of the college board? Some years later, my course was finished and the time of my ordination was at hand. I was allowed to invite one person to lay hands on my head, symbolic of all of those people that had prayed for me. He would pray that I might receive God's gift of the Holy Spirit as I became a minister. It was only natural that the man who put his hands on my bottom at the time of my birth, who put them round my shoulders in the time of my dad's death, should lay his hands on my head in benediction at the time of my ordination. Well, just let me tell you this. During the time of my studies at college and then at university, my younger brother Robbie caught rheumatic fever. He became desperately ill, requiring daily attention. Eventually he was hospitalised and then he died. For three years Dr Kemp visited him, hundreds of times, administering the treatment the specialist had decided before his death. My mother kept on insisting that he send her a bill, but the bill never came. Finally, after my brother's death, my mother insisted that she should pay his bill, and I can still remember seeing it when it arrived. It simply said, after three years of care, for providing care to Robbie Moyes, say £20. Dr Kemp received many honours from the community, from the churches, from the Queen, with his OBE, and when he died at an age of 89 years, the church and the surrounding street was packed with huge crowds of people. I only remember one phrase that was spoken in praise of him at the funeral. It was by a specialist surgeon who had used his skills as an anaesthetist, and he made this comment. Throughout our professional life, as a surgeon and as an anaesthetist, Elf Kemp and I performed 26, made thousand, 26,000 major and minor surgeries together. Well, my mind boggled that a man could have such an influence on so many people for so much good. He took an interest in me. In my latter life, when, he, when I'd become a preacher and he was proud of me, 
He often told other people that I was the son he always wanted to have. He died childless, but in fact hundreds of us looked to him as a father figure. There was no more important man in my life, and after my father died, I often thought about Dr. Kemp as I'd make my way home up Bank Street along the railway line to the top of the hill and to number 5 Miller Street, Box Hill, a great city that was once a village where the adults were kind and where the children grew up responsibly.